I don't want to see an ordinary film. I want to see something extraordinary. Your sacrifice completes my sanctuary of 1,000 testicles. You ever feel as if your mind had started to erode? Let's rock indeed. Welcome to 1,000 Wives of Weird, a podcast that is a celebration of everything weird, mostly movies. I'm Brad Hefner, and with me, to, as always, not just today, <laughs> is Dr. Billy Martell. Expert on snakes, expert yes. on archaeology, absolutely, expert on venom science. Yes. And very Scottish. Yes. <laughs> today we're going to be talking about the 1988 film Lair of the White Worm. Adapted... Very loosely from the Bram Stoker classic. Yes, one also of Bram Stoker. Garden of Edel. Evil. Garden of Edel. E- Garden of Edel, yes. Oh man, I'd watch that. Yes. This is directed by Ken Russell. Uh, this is my first ever Ken Russell film. And it's probably, it's either this or gothic, at least of the Ken Russell that I've seen, yeah. or is most accessible. How much Ken Russell have you seen? I have seen The Devils. Okay, uh, so his most famous one, or infamous I should say. It's either Ken Russell is also he's done the Devils he's done Tommy, the oh, Who that's right yeah the, the yeah the right. Who rock opera which I have not seen okay I haven't uh, seen that one I was either. a huge Who fan in like high school sure I always wanted to see this never got around to it mm-hmm. maybe we'll do it for the show I've heard it's fucking bizarre sure he's also a collaborator with another filmmaker very weird filmmaker that I'm a fan of you not as much Derek Jarman. Oh, is he? Derek Jarman did the production design on The Devils, and I'm assuming some of his other movies as well. So fantastic! Yeah, we're we're in that we're in that we're in the very weird wheelhouse. Today. Yes, uh, even though also, this is definitely one of his more marketable films. Yes, as far as that dollar stretches for Ken Russell, <laughs> um, he did, as I mentioned before, Gothic, which is yes. a retelling of. Mary Shelley being inspired to write Frankenstein. Sort of like this horror thing. Lord Byron's a character. It's it's very interesting. Awesome. And Listomania. It's about the composer Franz Liszt. Okay. And it's like a biopic. Yeah. Is it like Beatlemania, but it's for Franz Liszt? Well, yeah, because exactly. Like Franz Liszt, like apparently drove women wild. Okay. Like okay. It, there was literally listomania. Like it just it was pretty much like the Beatles. Like girls okay. would just swoon. So it's kind of like Amadeus, where where it's like comparing the modern day fervor around pop stars to this uh, older fervor around this classical. Music. Sort of. But the fervor is mostly sexual. There's a lot of dicks <laughs> and a... dick-shaped things. Uh, spoiler alert for Listomania. It's been a while since I've seen it. But I believe it ends with Franz Liszt playing like a dick organ where all like the pipes are penises. And oh they, my god. They shoot out rainbow colors and this helps them, <laughs> this helps them defeat Wagner. Oh who is his God. enemy. <laughs> it's oh like his God. companion and also his enemy throughout it. It's fucking insane. We'll have to watch it. I know Ken Russell, and this is going to be very surprising for people listening to a podcast about a movie called White Worm, tends to focus on dicks quite a lot. He's very sex-focused. He's also, to go hand-in-hand with Listomania, he wrote six novels, four of which are about the fuck lives of composers. Fantastic. Which I'm... It's 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 good to have a hobby. I simultaneously have no desire to read these, <laughs> and, and I'm very curious. And like, all of the desire to read them. Yeah, Ken Russell likes 
sex. Yes. He likes blasphemy. Yes, he loves blasphemy. And he likes strange imagery. Yes. All things that we love here on uh, A Thousand Wives of Weird. <laughs> Absolutely. Very briefly, Lair of the White Worm is about... Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> it's not a complex plot. No. But how just... best to sum it up? There are some new uh, additions to the studio. There are two kittens running around now. Yes. And we are engrossed in uh, watching one of the cat kittens deal with the old cat of the house yes katniss my 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 older cat is is not has not warmed up to the kittens quite yet and one of them ticket just got a little bit too close to her bed and got uh hissed at so lair of the white worm very very basically is sort of a mildly trippy horror film Mm -hmm. about a white worm as you can tell from the title Yes. And it's terrorizing a small English community. Yes. There's much more to it. Not a lot more, but there's a few interesting wrinkles. Yes. And now on 1,000 Wives of Weird, we believe that the best way to go into a movie is to know as little about it as possible. Mm-hmm. So before we start discussing it, we're going to say whether we recommend this movie or not. Yes. Billy, would you recommend... Ken Russell's Lair of the White Worm. I absolutely recommend Ken Russell's Lair of the White Worm. It was very shocking to me to look this movie up and find out that the critical consensus of this film is actually very poor. Yeah. Uh, Like, critics hate this movie, and I don't get it. And a lot of them seem very confused about the fact... That they were like, I don't know if this is supposed to be funny or not. Even how can you? Well, even Hugh Grant, the star of the film, a very young Hugh Grant, said he wasn't sure whether or not it was supposed to be funny. The movie is fucking hilarious. The movie is very funny. I don't understand how anybody could see that it's not a clear comedy. I wrote down in my notes: Did we watch the same goddamn movie? Come on, guys! This movie is fucking hilarious. If you From my perspective, I'm a huge fan of old 1930s horror films. Mm. I'm a huge fan of Hammer horror films. And to me, the the writing style of the movie, the the director said that he was going for Oscar Wilde, which I think is very, very, he very much achieved. But the kind of Oscar Wilde that he ends up hitting also very... uh, very easily serves as a parody of the way 1930s horror movies were written. Absolutely. With, like, the overly positive protagonists and everybody being very stuffy and unaware of sex, which also serves as a great parody of Bram Stoker's writing style. Yeah. I have not read Layer of the White Worm. I've heard that it's, from what research I was able to do, it's hit every worst horror novel ever list. Okay. Uh, so I have no interest in reading it. But neither this, do I. This Even movie, Ken Russell does not like it. No, Ken Russell hated that book. So, But I have to say, I thoroughly enjoyed this movie, and I, I'm suspicious of you if you do not. <laughs> yeah, I also recommend this movie. It's yeah. fucking fantastic. I knew as soon as I saw it the first time, I was like, this needs to be on the show at some point. Absolutely. You get some very... Nice imagery. It's not a heavily surreal film. No. But you get some crazy pictures in here. Yes. Uh, you get you get Peter Capaldi. Yes. You get Hugh Grant. You. Uh, it's it's very campy. It's very 
It's very fun. It's just a great monster movie that's barely about the monster, but also entirely about the monster. Before we get into it, I also, since we're naming actors, I want to give a special shout out to Amanda Donahoe. Okay. Who plays one of the main characters in the film. Again, not going to spoil anything yet. But I've I'd seen her in a couple of other things without knowing it was her, without knowing her name. Uh, after seeing this film, she stole the movie. Absolutely, like, she is so fucking good in this film, and I, I I need to have her acknowledged before people turn us off and go to watch the movie. Uh, oh, another uh, very famous Ken Russell movie. I'm just glancing at my notes. Altered sure. States. I've heard of that one. Yes. Yeah. All right. So let's get into walking through the movie. As we said, it's directed by Ken Russell, who also wrote Mm -hmm. the screenplay and produced. Yes. He's a huge fan of Dracula, but hated Layer the White Worm. Yes. Which, to my mind, makes sense because the movie ends up feeling a lot more like Dracula than what I understand the plot of the book is. Yes. Uh, Ken Russell, and another interesting thing that happens with this, it's sort of like a gender-swapped Dracula. Yes, which is something that happens in the book. In the book, the uh, the snake is represented by a woman in some way. I don't yeah. know if it's ever explained in the book. And in this, Amanda Donahoe, getting in spoilers now, mm-hmm. uh, plays the representative or the, uh, the vanguard of the White Worm yes. in the town. Our movie begins with... Peter Capaldi, playing the character Angus Flint. Mm-hmm. I love this character. Oh my god, I love every character in this movie. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> Peter Capaldi, most people probably know from Doctor Who. Uh, he's days, also... the thick of it. The thick of it, uh, in the loop. Yeah. He's... I always enjoy him when I see him. I love Peter and Capaldi he is, so much. After Amanda Donahoe's character, mm-hmm. he is my favorite character. Because he's sort of grouchy, and he has the best fucking moment at the end of the film... <laughs> Yes, he does. I know that people who are fans of Peter Capaldi will be surprised hearing that he's playing a grouchy character, because he never does that. He never does that. When I first watched this movie, I knew Hugh Grant was in it, and I knew Peter Capaldi was in it. And when I first saw Peter Capaldi, I was like, because I'm so used to seeing him as an older gentleman, I was like, is that Hugh Grant? You could tell it was somebody. I knew it was, I recognized (laughs) the face. Right. But no, if you've never seen young Peter Capaldi before, he's got like full long Paul McGann hair to yeah, reference another doctor. He looks like if there was a transporter accident between sixties Bob Dylan <laughs> and seventies John Lennon. Yes, that's exactly what he looks like. So Angus is excavating and he mm-hmm. unearths a giant reptilian skull. Yes. And he goes, Wahoo! Very excited. <laughs> Now, normally, archaeological digs are attended by several people. Yeah, this is just his own private thing. Angus, this is how hardcore he is. He's. <laughs> I can only assume that this was meant to be a franchise like Indiana Jones. <laughs> uh, God, I hope so. Where Angus just goes to little English, English countryside every fucking time. <laughs> It's oh man, Indiana Jones would hate this because of snakes. <laughs> he oh my god, this is this is Indiana Jones's nightmare. This is yeah, this is this is Indiana Jones's actual nightmare. I uh, speaking of franchises though, I was looking this up. So this in in the movie, the legend of the White Worm is called the legend of the Danton Worm. Yes, the town that they live in is called Danton. It's a fictional town, but it's based on a real place called Lampton. Lampton. And this is 
both the book and this are actually based on a real folk, folk tale legend. Yeah. in England called the the Lair of the Lambton Worm, and we get to hear a real folk song later in the movie. Yes, based on that story, and that Lambton Worm legend was also the basis for a script that was written for a potential sequel to The Wicker Man. Yes. Yeah. So this and it, I. Which is kind of weird because I was watching this movie and the way that certain things develop, I was kind of feeling like this kind of works as a companion piece to the Wicker Man. Sort of, yeah. There's, there's, a, this is a folk horror movie. It is. It is. It really. It doesn't feel like it at first. No, because usually folk horror, like, there's a lot more pagans, yeah, and they're like well, sort like, of like Wicker Man. You, you're, you're usually like among the weirdos. Yeah, sort of. Usually, it, yeah, it's it's an outnumbered mid, thing. Mid, midsummer. Yeah. There anyway. are two women who own uh, this property, this guest house called Mercy House, or we find out later they're actually renting it. Yeah. Well, yeah. no, it was their parents, wasn't it? It was, but and like they it's, rented it's, out it's on the property of. Well, that's just. I think that's just how English manners work. Uh, I don't know. We wouldn't know. But they tease him about the find. Yes. They're like, we found a bigger skull three weeks ago. <laughs> that looks like a cow skull, they say. Yeah. Which it doesn't. No, it looks like a giant snake skull. <laughs> yeah. The dialogue between the characters as they're digging the skull up is so, is already, like, this is how I don't understand why you can't, if someone didn't know this was supposed to be a comedy, how do you not know from the second someone opens their mouth Yeah. in this movie? The, the dialogue is so cringily stagey. Yeah, it, it's it's high camp. It's high it's high, high B movie camp. B movie camp. High B movie camp. It, everything about it is so tongue in cheek. It's so it feels like dialogue from a Rock Hudson movie, except made in the eighties. So it's even more out of place. And it's it's so good. It it tickled my heart. It yeah. was so great. It's fantastic. Yeah. And and all of the actors. Dialogue like this is not easy to sell. No. Uh, and these actors are killing it. Like, just all along the way. They are absolutely delivering it as sincerely as they possibly can. And it it, it absolutely sells. And even though this is a campy sort of B-picture horror movie, yeah. Ken Russell is still an artist. He's still establishing imagery very early. The movie was clearly made with a lot of passion. Yeah. No, yeah. There's there's thematic resonance and a lot of the imagery it, it's very basic stuff but it's still appreciated like mm -hmm. when uh, they grab a hose to douse off the skull yes and it's very white and pale and it's it it's just looks a quick... like a white worm exactly and the, and the music sting hits a Dun -dun 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 -dun. Mm -hmm. oh my god it's a white worm we learned that there used to be a convent on the site. Yes. Ken Russell returning to one of his favorite subjects, nuns. Nun fuckery is what yes. I, how I put it. <laughs> uh, Angus also uncovered some coins, one of which has a cross with a snake on it. Mm -hmm. So he, finds, he realizes that the skull can't be of a dinosaur unless the dinosaur survived till Roman times because the coins and the skull yeah. were found on the same level. Which I sort of want this movie where a bunch of Roman legionnaires in England have to fight off an actual dragon, which is just a T-Rex that lived until now. Oh my god. Can you imagine, like, they're, the, Christ the Christians are being led into the into the Colosseum and they're like, <laughs> it's just a lion, we can handle it. And they open they open the gate and it's a, t it's oh a fucking T-Rex. <laughs> Here's the movie I want. Okay. The Romans have dinosaurs. Of course, right. And they're invading... 
Northern Europe, the Germanic tribes. Of course. And the Ger- like the Visigoths are like, how the fuck can we fight these, these thunder dogs, lizards? These thunder lizards, yeah. And so they pray to Odin. Right. And they get uh, warriors from Valhalla to oh my aid God. them in taking down these beasts. Oh my God. So the Valkyries come in on the Valkyries. They maybe someone gets uh, Odin's eight-legged horse sleep near. So we start. So so the movie starts off with a a concept that's a little silly, Romans with dinosaurs, and then goes even sillier with just putting yes. in straight up mytho- mythological creatures. Exactly. I think that's great. I, I mean, there's just a lot you can do with the idea of dinosaurs in Roman times. Absolutely. And then the the at the very end of the movie, they're like, "A good thing we stopped those invaders. We'll never have to deal with them again." And then flying saucers show up instead of. Uh, <laughs> Instead of Hannibal crossing the Alps with elephants, it's Triceratops. It's a combination army of Triceratops and woolly mammoths. <laughs> <laughs> so that night, Angus and the two sisters, Mary and Eve, go mm-hmm. to a big celebration at uh, the Lord's house, the, the owner of the estate. Yes. We get a fucking awesome folk song. Oh my God. Which is a real folk song, and I thought it was original to the movie. So did I. And I was a little disappointed to learn that it wasn't, but it's still sure. cool that there's this folk song about a dude killing a giant worm. And not only that, but they, they like, they grunge it up a bit. Like It's I, a little I, bit more folk punk. They they make it a lot more, like, if you've heard Gogo Bordello, it's a little bit more like that yeah. kind of sound. Uh, sort of like Pogues. Sure, sure. I wrote, I wrote <laughs> when I was trying to describe it in my notes, I this is probably a little bit offensive, but I wrote Euro hoedown music. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. They're literally dancing the ho like a like a hoedown like a hoedown line dance in in the movie while they're listening to it. And what's awesome about this song is it does double duty. Yes. One it's a fucking banger. It's a banger. It slaps hard. It does. But it establishes the folk history of the region. Yeah, it's a great way to get the exposition it's across. It's so fucking good. Yeah. And it's about this giant worm, which yeah. a man named John Dampton mm-hmm. caught while he was out fishing. Yes. It was like, this looks weird, throws it down a well, mm-hmm. and then the worm starts eating, it comes out of the well, gets real big, Yes. starts eating cows and sheep, and also human babies. <laughs> <laughs> like you do. Like you do. And eventually, John Dampton cuts it in half. Right, and, and the the descendant of John Dampton in this movie is played by Hugh Grant. Hugh Grant, yes. giving his best stuffy upper crust nitwit performance, doing what he almost always does. <laughs> what he almost always does, he he knows what he's good at, <laughs> but he's still, despite not getting it from his own account, yes. He still does great in this film. He does fantastic. He's... Another example of uh, the acting in this movie, giving you an idea of like what the sort of tone is, Ken Russell apparently showed a 50s manners comedy <laughs> to the cast on set and said, I want you to act like this. That's great. Isn't that wonderful? That's like perfect. Uh, if you're not familiar with Hugh Grant, he was very famous in the early 90s with a lot of romantic comedies. A lot of romantic comedies. Uh, he was in Bridget Jones's Diary and later... Uh, yeah. Uh, my favorite role of his, Paddington 2. I mean, one of our favorite movies on the yes. show is Paddington 2. Uh, I, with Paddington 2's ascendancy to greatest film of all time, beating out Citizen Kane. Oh, I'm so happy um, about that. I almost thought, like, oh, maybe we'll do it this week, talk about that. Uh-huh. But I think we'll save it. We'll do, like, a children's month. Sure. Because I also want to talk about Dora the Explorer movie. <laughs> 
but yeah, Hugh Grant is fantastic. He's doing the stuffy upper crust thing, mm-hmm. but he's also sort of doing, again, a very throwback hero where he's like, yes, I'm going to ignore almost everybody around me and just talk. Exactly. No, he's he is he is clearly a parody of like a classic British hero. If you were to watch an old Hammer film, the he, Peter Cushing's characters are always completely sexless. Yes, they are representatives of the state. They are representatives of the norm. They are they are always like talking down to everyone and being very professional and and stuffy and and upper crust. It's it's just it's it's a parody of that very particular kind of hero and it's fucking great to the point where for absolutely no reason at all there are several scenes in this movie where he's just randomly wearing a military uniform. Yeah. Like how much more <laughs> of a fucking stick up his ass could he possibly have? I mean, and it's also like he's he's very rich. He doesn't seem to do a whole lot. No, he doesn't. Uh, so but bizarrely capable when the <laughs> situation calls for it. Yes. As this band is singing, mm-hmm. we get a great dance. There's a nice giant worm puppet that's like one of those uh, uh, during like, like Chinese, the, Chinese New Year, New Year dragon, like things. where it's people yeah. inside it. And yeah. Hugh Grant very winningly takes the sword and cuts the puppet in half. Um, <laughs> after it harasses Eve Trent, mm-hmm. uh, one of the women who own Mercy House. Ooh, spoilers. I also want to point out, just as as a fanboy, Hugh Grant, Peter Capaldi, both actors to have played the Doctor, and later, many years after this movie came out, the Doctor Who audio dramas produced by Big Finish did a parody of this movie. Oh, did they? Uh, called Trail of the White Worm, oh. in which the White Worm is actually the good guy, <laughs> and the Master is trying to utilize her powers for evil. Gotcha. Yeah. And Hugh Grant is James Dampton, the Lord of the Local Manor, mm-hmm. descendant of John Dampton from the song. Yes. What, and here's another great thing in the movie. Angus and James talk in front of a repulsive buffet. <laughs> yes! That is That is almost entirely... Tentacles and fish heads. It is entirely... Yes, it is entirely imagery associated with the worm. Yes. And, like, they're... But also a commentary on the stereotypical repulsiveness of British food. Yeah, that too. But they're just sitting there, like, mindlessly eating these these red... They almost look like angel hair pasta with like nacho cheese flavoring on them or something and they're just mindlessly eating these things and Peter Capaldi at the end of the scene is like this is delicious and Hugh Grant says well I'm glad that you like it not many people can handle spiced worm it's (laughs) earthworms in aspic earthworms in aspic that's right (laughs) we also learn as we said before there was a large Roman settlement in the area yes Mary and Angus leave the party Mm -hmm. Mary is played by Sammy Davis Oh, not Sammy Davis Jr. Oh, so so Sammy Davis's mo- mother. Yeah, it's amazing. I know how I know how families work. The special effects on this movie mm-hmm. to turn what in 1988 I'm sure would have been a nearly dead black woman into a young, very pale white woman. Uh, yeah, <laughs> is astounding. It's astounding. It's, it's astounding. Should have should have won an Oscar. I'm only I should have won a BAFTA. Sorry, it's an English film. Should have won a BAFTA. Well, yeah, for special effects and for makeup. And Absolutely. Just, I think it would have been great if Sammy Davis Jr. were in this movie. <laughs> I think most movies... Oh, another worm. I think most movies would be improved with Sammy Davis Jr. Uh, there, there are a lot... That, I can't think of a movie that wouldn't be improved with Sammy, Dav- with Sammy Davis Jr. 
Including the witch. Like, have Sammy Davis play the witch. <laughs> Sammy Davis Jr. play the witch. Boo, baby. Dost thou want to live deliciously? <laughs> <laughs> it might be too on the nose for him to be Black Phillip. But it'd be great if that was his final form. Just had, like, the rings and the glasses. And, just, like... <laughs> and he was... This would be a much different movie, but he was actually just trying to convert her to Judaism. <laughs> Was he was he Jewish? Yeah, I had no idea. Good for him, but yeah. So, <laughs> and I haven't seen this actress Sammy Davis in anything else. I don't think I have. The either. only credit I recognize was the Bob Hoskins neo noir Mona Lisa. Okay, but she also played Dominic Monaghan's mother in Lost. Oh, so I've seen her before. I just don't remember because why the fuck would I remember any second of Lost? They go through a dark and misty wood, and it's so classic gothic yeah. horror, and it's very clearly a set. Oh yeah, and it's it's, it's very great. it's very misty. It, it's wonderful. Yeah, uh, Mary tells Angus how her mom and dad went missing in these same woods. Yes, what a great path to go down. <laughs> and oh my god, I'm having such a huge watching this scene. I'm having such a huge flashback to the 1940s Wolfman movie. <laughs> like it feels so even right down to the fact that just like if you've ever seen the 1940s Wolfman movie, Lon Chaney Jr. is supposed to be like a, a rugged romantic hero and he just comes off as super rapey and horrible. <laughs> and in this movie, Peter Capaldi asks, after she gets done talking about her dead parents, he's like, are you seeing anyone? She says no. And he just like rushes in for a kiss immediately. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Angus kisses Mary after after she gets done talking about her MIA parents. Yes. But also, it's like, again, like you said, this is, for a movie that is simultaneously all about sex. Yes. All our main characters are very chaste. Like, it's just oh, yeah. a kiss. Like, that's yeah. pretty much all we ever see the main characters do. Is Absolutely. Is just very quick kisses and not a lot of it. Yeah, no, all the main characters are extremely chaste and proper and English. Yes. Yeah. Have you ever mm -hmm. kissed anybody sure. at the sight of your parents' parents' disappearance? At the sight of my parents' disappearance? Yes. My parents are still around. So are no. they? Yes. Well, imagine this. Okay. Imagine your parents disappeared mysteriously. Oh, God. Somewhere about... Let's say Six Flags. <laughs> oh my god. They went into Six Flags. Yes. And they never came back. They just out. never came out of Six Flags. And one wow. day you're walking home. I'm walking home. And you cut through Six Flags. Like I do. Like you do. Every day. And <laughs> maybe your wife Kaylee is with you. Sure. Maybe it's another woman. <laughs> maybe okay. this is why you're at Six Flags, because you need a place where you know Kaylee won't see you. <laughs> To step out with this other woman. Oh, God. Uh, let's say it's Cher. <laughs> I'm seeing Cher behind my wife's back. Yes. Wow. Okay. And you and Cher's on Twitter, so you're constantly taking her phone away from her. Uh, she's like, I'm with my beau, Billy. <laughs> We're at Six Flags. Here's a selfie of us smooching. Oh, well, Cher, we can't, we can't let anybody exactly. know. Exactly. But would you kiss Cher at, Six Flag, at the Six Flags where your parents disappeared? <laughs> There's there's so many levels to this where this this is not going to happen. But I guess 
if it were someone that I wanted to kiss. You don't want to kiss and Cher? my parents. She's an attractive lady. Cher is a very attractive lady. She's very lady. talented. I don't want to cheat on my wife. Okay. <laughs> but if I were, if, if, if I was unattached and I was dating Cher and we wanted to kiss at Six Flags, but the Six Flags is where my parents disappeared... Yeah, I'd probably still kiss okay. her. She's still yeah. she's share. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah, people go missing everywhere. I know. Like what? I, well, at least I had time with my parents. I'm know? sure people have gone missing in this apartment. Probably, probably, eight thousand people go missing every day, Billy. It's true. Every time you come into this apartment, I'm sure that you you make peace with whatever you worship that you might not come out exactly. Again. Yeah, uh, but like we said, Angus kisses Mary, but mm-hmm. they're interrupted by a fancy car. Uh, driving by. And I want to point out that they picked possibly the car that looked most like a snake's head that they possibly could find. I'm sure. Yeah. They, they were one step away from going with a Cobra or a Viper. <laughs> or just like a giant car literally shaped like a snake's head. <laughs> just like, like a Cobra like, hood in the face and it's like a matchbox car. Like, like we were right out of the 60s Batman show or something like that. It's like if the Transformers Beast Wars had to get into... <laughs> Cars that transformed into the same animal. Right, um, yeah. They're the triple changers. Mary says this car has no headlights on, but it seems like it, it does. Clearly does. It does. It clearly yeah. does. This is a, yeah, I don't know if this is like, this is what I think happened. I think, because he wrote the script in four days, Ken Russell did. I think he wrote that the car was driving in with no headlights on, and she said that, and then when they went, when they got to, around to shooting the car, they were they shot it without the headlights, and they're like, that looks like shit. Here, put the headlights on, they drove it around, and then they cut it together and didn't give it It's shit. got no headlights on! Yeah, exactly. And the car is also headed towards a house that is supposed to be deserted. Yes. Back at the guest house, a copper is waiting. Yes, he is. A policeman, Ernie. Quick note about Ernie. Before um, you get to that, I'll just say that at this point, I wrote down the note, I'm only 12 minutes in, I'm in love with this movie. And the comedy in this movie is 10 out of 10. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Ernie is played by Paul Brook, who would mm-hmm. later reunite with Hugh Grant, Bridget Jones's Diary. He's a pretty popular character actor. He's been in a lot of shit. Most importantly, mm-hmm. he is the Rancor Keeper in Return of the Jedi. That's where I knew him from. Yes! Yes, he is. He and is the Rancor displaying Keeper. displaying emotional range in that film. Absolutely. He's happy. He cries. He's lost his best friend. Absolutely. His lover. Now, mm-hmm. this was 88, so Jedi would have been out by now. Yes. Do you think Ken Russell talked to Paul Brooks and he was like, hey, can you talk to George Lucas? Mm-hmm. Maybe instead of a worm, we could have a rancor? I somehow doubt that with Ken Russell's phallic uh, obsession. You're right. that the he rancor does with... not look li- enough like a dick. It doesn't, and it doesn't have any genitalia. I think if he wanted to go with a rancor, he would have wanted the rancor to have a giant dick. Well, we don't. Obviously, there's a white worm yes. in this movie. Yes. We don't see its crotch. Most worms don't have dicks. Most snakes don't have dicks. True, but white snake is a very popular term for a for a penis. Is it very popular? Because I've literally never heard that until just now. Well, the band White Snake is na- was named after the lead singer's dick. Oh, I thought it was just named after a white snake. Nope, that's actually the reason why it's called White Snake is because the lead singer was like, "My penis is a white snake," oh. and that's the that's the name of the band. 
Oh, man. Would you want a snake as a penis? Would I want a snake as a penis? Yes. No. Okay. Yeah. Just checking because I have the capability. <laughs> what? You have the capability to turn a penis into a snake. It's my superpower. Oh, okay. I thought, this, I thought this was another business you were trying out, like that brothel you owned for a while. No, this is my superpower. This is what I can do. This is mm -hmm. my gift from God. Right. <laughs> I can change a penis, anybody's penis, mm -hmm. into a snake. Gotcha. I don't get to choose what kind of snake. It's random. Sure. Also, most people don't want this. I, yeah, I, I can't imagine most people would be into it. But, no, this is what I was put on Earth to do. I guess so. Is turn penises into snakes. Uh, I Okay. I mean, good for you, I guess. As we said, the copper Ernie is waiting. Mm -hmm. And he has found Mary's father's watch yes. in Stonewreck Cavern. Uh, which they plan to search further, and Mary wants to join in. This is the first evidence that they've found of what might have happened to her parents since they originally disappeared. Yeah. So this is a big deal. This is a big deal. Watches are big deals. They keep time. They time do. is important. Time, time is one of the fundamental forces in the universe. It deserves its own method of measurement. Exactly. As we learned in The Guy Who Didn't Like Musicals. Mary tells the cop about the strange car they saw. Yes. So that leads the cop to Temple House. Yes. I love how it seems like every British house in the countryside has its own name. Yes, especially in movies. Mercy House, Temple House, Dampton Manor. Dampton Manor, yeah, um, absolutely. Down, would, Downton Abbey. Downton Abbey. <laughs> so nice. the cop goes to Temple House mm -hmm. and reports that there's an intruder to his unhelpful backup. Yes. Who won't come because he's having trouble with his bicycle it, pump. And there's a whole there's long a whole conversation about <laughs> why that's a problem. Yes. But the cop is struck by something, and as soon as that happens, a woman emerges from behind the tree. Yes. Uh, the woman is tall, she's in pale colors, mostly white, wearing a fucking white tricorn. Which is amazing. A great choice. The costume design for this lady is everything. Yeah, she wears a lot of, uh, what in this movie can only be described as lounging leather. <laughs> yes. She lounges around her house in thigh-high leather boots, mm -hmm. just for funsies. Just for funsies. But the woman says that what struck the cop was not a snake, mm -hmm. but still she takes him back to the manor and sucks the poison out. Yes, in a highly sexual shot. And this woman is Sylvia Marsh, played by Amanda Donahoe. M played by Amanda Donahoe, who some of you may know as uh, Jim Carrey's law partner in Liar Liar, or as probably the sexiest guest star in the entire run of Frasier. Okay. Yeah. I also saw she was a main lead on L.A. Law. Yes, she was, but I've never seen that show. I have not either. Yes. In the morning, Sylvia goes to Mercy House where Angus is staying, mm -hmm. while everyone is off searching Stonerick Cavern, her ladyship just wanders about. I also want to point out in this scene, her sunglasses are everything. Like yes, they, she they... has some great sunglasses. They're always like cat eye. Cat, well, snake eye in a sense. Like oh, they're, yeah. they're, they're green and orange like a snake's uh, scale colors. It's so cool. Her her coat has a pattern that makes it look like it's green scales. Absolutely amazing. Even the way that she is made to move in certain scenes. In particular, she goes into the house. She finds the skull that Peter Capaldi found. Yes. And she was told about by the cop the previous night. And uh, 
it's this incredible shot where the skull looks gigantic in... There's some great force perspective work yes. in this movie. And she walks down the room towards the skull, but she does so in a way that you cannot see her legs moving, and it literally looks like she's got a snake body underneath. Yeah. It's so good. It's... In any other director's hands, this movie would be much different. Absolutely. But because Ken Russell... He knows Again, exactly the kind of movie he wants to he make. He is an artist. Yes. For as much as his obsession is like sex and mm-hmm. composers yes. and blasphemy. Yes. He knows what he's doing. He yes. is an accomplished filmmaker. And yeah. he elevates this bee creature feature yes. to something else. Yes. But as you said, she steals the skull. Mm-hmm. And before she leaves, she hisses and sprays venom onto a crucifix. With her mouth filled with fangs. And this is one of my only uh, gripes with the movie, is that clearly we know she's a snake already. We know yeah. there's something very snake-like about her. Everything about the mise-en-scene has been pointing at, this lady is a snake. But the actual reveal of her literal snakeness is done in this scene with the giant fangs and the, sp- and the venom spitting. Yeah, And she's looking away from the camera... We're focused on the crucifix, so the, the venom hits the crucifix. This would be a great... This would have been such a better reveal if we had uh, a shot, reverse shot, of her looking into the camera, spitting the venom, or anything else. Yeah. But, like, the the reveal of her snake nature in that moment is just slightly underdone for me. I don't mind it. Uh, the point of this movie is not to be like, I wonder who the monster is. Oh, absolutely Clearly, not. from her introduction, she is not a safe person. Sure, but I just think it would be more fun if, okay. if we made a bigger deal of it. Well, Ken Russell is dead. He can't argue oh, with you. That's too bad. He's been dead for about ten years. Okay. You can dig him up and put him on trial like they did with that pope. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to be doing that. Really? Not to quibble with this one uh, five-second <laughs> shot? You don't want to exhume a corpse and put it on mock trial? You know what? You, you've you convinced me. I think that's what we, exactly what we should do right after the, we're done recording this episode. We should also do that with Orson Welles, mm-hmm. just to tell his bones that a movie about a talking bear <laughs> is better than Citizen Kane. <laughs> you show me a movie with a talking bear that's better than Citizen Kane, and I'll blow you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, by the way, the mm-hmm. door to Mercy House is just wide the fuck open. <laughs> yes. I guess that's the British countryside where not only do you not have to lock your doors, you don't have to close them. I guess this is when when adults say, like, oh man, everyone locks their doors these days. This is what they're comparing it to, is old the 80s in Britain on I the guess. countryside. It used to be your house didn't even need walls. <laughs> that's how much you trusted your neighbor. <laughs> Used to be people just sort of like stood out in the field. Used to be, we didn't even need property. We just moved around (laughs) hunting the mammoth. James brings Eve home shortly after Sylvia leaves. Mm -hmm. Uh, Eve Trent is played by Catherine Oxenberg, who played Princess Di twice on screen. That makes sense to me. her daughter was involved with the Nexium cult. Oh, that's too bad. That is too bad. I'm sorry. There's a couple uh, Nexium documentaries that she appears in. Mm -hmm. I think she narrates one. That makes sense. And she was on the show Dynasty. Oh, that also makes sense. 
Eve sees the crucifix drenched in venom. Yes. And touches it. Mm-hmm. And here we get our first flash of Ken Russell's surrealism and also his obsession with sex and blasphemy. Yes. As I said, this is more like the nun fuckery that I knew Ken Russell was known for. Yes. And some people, again, this is his most accessible film. Some people who love Ken Russell mm-hmm. are disappointed by this film because it doesn't get weird enough. Sure. Now, for, for those who might not know about the backstory of this film, the reason this film existed at all is because Ken Russell had a three-picture deal yes. with this studio. He'd made one movie, and he was going to make another one that he wanted to make, and the studio said, we'll let you make that movie, but first you have to make a marketable horror movie for us. Yes. And so he said, okay. And then he decided to make one the way he would want to make it. I feel like he was trying his damnedest. I feel and then like just all like, the nun rapes seeped in. <laughs> like, you you have a theory about David Lynch's Wild at Heart. That Wild at Heart is David Lynch's attempt to be like, I'm going to make a... A, a mainstream feel good road comedy yeah, buddy like movie, a, um, a mainstream flick. I think that is exactly what this is. Ken oh, Russell's absolutely! Attempt at. Absolutely, he's trying to make a mainstream movie, but he is so Ken Russell that you can't entirely get away. Yeah, no, there has to be some sex in there. There has to be some nun fucking. Yes. But Eve reels back and has a vision of nuns all in white. Yes. On their knees before a man on the cross who I don't think is Jesus. He doesn't have a beard. He doesn't have a beard. That's not necessary. I mean, where is it written that Jesus has to have a beard necessarily? But um, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, the first one, where he's like, <laughs> let me tell you about this bearded bitch I knew. <laughs> but yeah, so, uh, but yeah, somebody is on a cross and there is a big white snake. And he does have the crown of thorns. That's wrapped around him. So it could be Jesus. It could just be another saint being and crucified. the cross sits in front of a ruined building that is engulfed in flames. Mm-hmm. But the flames are such a cool effect. They're like chroma keyed in. Yes. This it, movie makes... This movie technically has very dated chroma key effects. But the datedness but of them adds to the film. It's so stylish. Like it's clearly a yes, choice. Like yeah. it's clearly not like... Oh, this is going to look great. It's going to, yeah. it's like, this is going to look trippy and surreal. Like, you know, when you see the movie Labyrinth and you see the fire dancer scene and you're like, ooh, this hasn't aged well. It's, it's like using the same kind of chroma key for that, but using how bad that chroma key looks for style rather than to try exactly. and, yeah, it's, it's, it, it really works is what we're trying to say. Roman soldiers rush the scene. Yep, they rape a, the nuns. A big old snake puppet appears. Mm-hmm. The soldiers rape the nuns. Yep. And the snake bites the crucified man. Yes. And then we see Sylvia, skin gray, hair slicked back, fangs in her mouth, mm-hmm. hisses and flicks her tongue at the nuns as they're raped. Mm-hmm. And Eve, for some reason, yes. is upset by this. She's, she's, she's a little upset by this, yeah. Now, how would you feel if... These images just suddenly appeared in your mind. I would be very confused and probably a little upset. I would be confused. Yeah. But... You don't think you'd be upset? Well, first, I'd wonder if the schizophrenia, which I long wondered if I actually have, is finally manifesting. And I'd be like, well, I guess I have an answer. (laughs) Um, But... No. No, you wouldn't be upset? I guess I would be upset that the nuns are being raped. Sure. But uh, let's do a fetish check. Okay. Nuns? 
I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. I don't like it. You 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 like you you're into nuns? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, anything with a uniform. I I will say there is a monologue later on that I I know that you know what I'm talking about about nuns that that was um interesting. That made a convincing argument for maybe you should fuck nuns. <laughs> It was def. It was it was a more sexual interpretation of nunnery, of a nunnery than I had heard before, and it was it kind of opened m- my mind to where Ken, why Ken Russell includes so much nun fuckery in his movies. James Hugh Grant tries to comfort her, but because he's Hugh Grant, he's not great at it, <laughs> and this includes dragging her out to the yard. So the on, girl. So the on. <laughs> To show her this mosaic of a giant white serpent coiled around a cross. He's like, like that? Yeah, this mosaic which has been uncovered in the dig. Yes. That's, that's where it is. The pair also discover the skull is gone, and mm-hmm. Angus and Mary show up shortly afterward. Yes. We cut to the side of the road. It's mm-hmm. raining. Yes. There is a young boy in some sort of scout uniform trying to hitchhike a ride. Yes. Which he does not get from Hugh Grant, who drives right the fuck past right him. Right the fuck past him. Because he's not a prostitute. <laughs> Otherwise, Hugh Grant would have been right there. <laughs> no, you, he's, no, Hugh Grant is entirely sexless in this movie. In he, this movie, but in real life. Oh, is he a prostitute lover? He, there Grant? was a big scandal in the early 90s where he was caught picking up a prostitute. Maybe he was just trying to live out his pretty woman dreams. Maybe. But he does get a ride from mm-hmm. her ladyship, Sylvia. Yes. Who is... It almost feels like... And I don't know if I just wasn't paying attention, but it feels like he walks up the road and then turns around and then her car is just there. That's exactly what happens. Okay. I wanted to make sure that it was intentional. No, her car pops out of nowhere like a goddamn ghost, which is, again, fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Kevin, this young boy, is trying to get to his youth hostel. Yes. But uh, her ladyship, with her thigh-high stockings, (laughs) Sylvia takes him to her manor. Yes. Where she lounges around in her thigh-high leather boots. And a bra. And a bra and and a negligee or whatever the fuck it is. And they play Snakes and Ladders. Which is the British version of Shoots and Ladders, as we know it here. The classic board game of morality and chance. Which is so fucking funny. It's hilarious. It's so funny. And she's just lounging around. And the kid is just sitting there completely stoic yes, and completely he's... unenthused in this incredibly attractive woman lounging around in front of him. Yeah. Like, it, she... He's concerned about getting back to the hostel in time for dinner. In time for dinner. <laughs> it's... And again, like, there's... the. I don't know if this was an intentional dig at Bram Stoker, but Bram Stoker has this thing where, like, all of his good characters are so chaste and so terrified, specifically of female sexuality. Yeah. If you've if you've read Dracula or if you're familiar with the Dracula story, I recommend for a great exploration of this concept, Dracula Pages from a Virgin's Diary reframes the story as uh, the humans, the men being the monsters instead of Dracula, because Dracula is interested in exploring female sexuality, not diminishing it as everyone else is. And Dracula's interested in exploring female sexuality in like a fantastic voyage type of way where he wants to shrink down (laughs) 
and go through a woman's vulva up right. her vagina into yes. her uterus. He wants to both have sex with a woman and also be birthed by one. He wants. He's in gynecological training. <laughs> I exactly. need to know how the plumbing works. <laughs> Jesus Christ! But yeah, so uh, Amanda Donahoe is is playing this this snake woman as essentially like a rock star in a completely square world. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Like she is, she's the pagan. She was so she's embraced sexuality. Yes, even if it's just as a weapon. Right. Uh, and Kevin is just. He's a fucking Boy Scout. Like, he's a, literally. He's a literal fucking Boy Scout. And best bit, Sylvia is about to put on some music. Yes. And Kevin interprets that as like, oh, she wants some music. So he starts to play his harmonica. Yes. Which is, entrances her because she's a snake and he is uh, yes. playing his uh, wind instrument. We learn that snakes, snake charming in this movie is not like a a party a parlor trick that certain performers can do by getting snakes confused by the movement of a reed pipe, yeah. but instead is an actual thing that all snakes are hypnotized by any kind of wind instrument music. And she snatches the harmonica from him yes. and puts it on the mantle. Billy. Yes. How would you feel yes. if someone just took your harmonica from you? Uh, I would feel like they didn't like my harmonica music. I would be a little bit offended. Now, you know me. Yes. I'm a harmonica head. I Yeah, I know. I, I've never met a bigger harmonica head than you. If someone took my my primary harmonica... You're, yeah, yeah. My, You've always got a, at least a, two or three yeah, more. I that. have my ancestral harmonica that is my basis for all my harmonica performances. Right. Um, it has been passed down through generations. Mm-hmm. I got it on my 13th birthday when I became a man. Right. In the harmonica core. Um, yes, of course. If someone took that from me... Yeah. I would either have to kill them or kill myself. <laughs> you wouldn't just reach for your secondary harmonica? No. No. It's like that harmonica harbors my soul. Uh, of course, yes. I, I forgot about... I forgot about that aspect of your religion. Yeah, I'm soul bonded with my primary harmonica. Right, 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 right. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So I so so uh, word to the wise: never take Brad's harmonica from him unless you want him to die, or you want to die, or you want to die. That too. <laughs> Which do you think you're more likely to do in that circumstance? Would you more more likely to kill them or yourself? And and how would you kill them? I would kill them probably with my other harmonicas. That makes sense. Uh, I, I thought so. I, I sharpen the edges. Right. So it cuts my lips off every single time I try to play. That explains why I you have wouldn't to... reach for the secondary harmonica. Yeah. And But they're great for throwing, like a batarang. Right. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I... Because because of the holes, that makes them aerodynamic. And it makes them whistle, which scares the... <laughs> Which scares the bad guys. They're like, what's that sound? And then they're dead from right. the fucking harmonica. Right, yeah. The, the worst part, though, I imagine, is cleaning the guts out of the, the holes in the middle of the harmonica. Just, like, getting all that blood and shit it's out. It's pretty easy. Pretty easy? Okay, good. Sylvia ends up giving Kevin a bath. Yes. <laughs> and she ends up... She's scrubbing his back. And he says, I bet your girlfriend doesn't do this for you. He's like, no, no. nor my mom, neither. <laughs> Again, all the performances are so pitch perfect. This kid does a great job. He's so good. And she ends up striking him on the dick with her fang. She yeah. paralyzes him. She finally gets him a little bit sexed up by by rubbing him in the right places yeah. with, his, with a squeegee. And then, she yeah, she bites him on the dick and paralyzes him and then starts monologuing. And starts monologuing about how she will sacrifice him to Dionin. 
Mm-hmm. And then, ding dong, who's at the door? It's Hugh Grant. And I love, she's she's got the skull, she's holding it above her head, she's like, a big sacrifice to Dionan. Ding dong! Shit. Uh, sh- oh, shit. <laughs> and then to take precautions, yeah. she uh, pushes Kevin underneath the water with one foot. Oh my god, it's so, so good. good. I At this point, I was like, man... I want her to team up with Doctor Doom from Fantastic Four. <laughs> <laughs> they would have been great. They would have been great. Um, great power couple. I can't imagine Doctor Doom from Fantastic Four being in a relationship with a woman. No. But maybe like a supervillain team up. Absolutely. Yeah. Shit. I just remembered the uh, Peter Capaldi joke I was going to make. Oh, what's a Peter Capaldi joke? When I was going to list his credits, I was going to say... Peter Capaldi, who you probably know as the mean neighbor from the Paddington films. (laughs) And nothing else. Right, yeah. That's 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 only... He was in Lair of the White Worm. (laughs) And they were like, this is the perfect fit for the mean neighbor in Paddington. Yeah. And they took him. Right, yeah. And he he doesn't really have any interest in acting, so he's never done anything else. Yeah. But... Ding Dong, who's at the door of Temple House. Right. Hugh Grant, as we said. In uh, full military regalia. Well, he's coming to help a lady. Right. He has to be as dashing as possible. As dashing as possible. Because he's heard that she has a snake problem. <laughs> he heard it from Ernie. Ernie the cop who was bitten on the ankle by a snake, as we, as we know. She invites him in for a drink, and here we finally get her name, Sylvia, as yes. we've said. As they drink, Sylvia puts on a bit of a show. Yes. Great moment. She breaks down in tears, embraces James, talks about how she's afraid of snakes. But she has a passion for snakes and ladders. Yeah, because she it's, it's a way to overcome her fear. <laughs> this scene it this scene feels like uh I, I wouldn't be surprised if this was lifted directly from Dracula's Daughter, <laughs> which is a nineteen thirties movie which also features a very upper crust, stuffy, sexless nitwit of a main character and a young lady who's like only you can help me drive out the darkness from my mind and get rid of all these bats in my belfry. And she also says she's emotional over everything that's going on with the Trent parents, Mary and Eve's parents. Yes. And in in a show of strength to James (laughs) to to help break the chain, she picks up the snakes and ladders board and tosses into the fire. Oh my god. And she whispers rosebud i love this movie and james says what nothing i i want to point uh in my notes at this point i said hugh grant has the stiffest upper lip of any man alive yep james and sylvia's evening ends with a kiss yes and it is implied that there is a relationship of some sorts between eve and james because he brings her home in the morning after the party kisses her shoulder at one point and he makes reference to you kept me up all night dancing so this is again so chaste, but yes. this is, but this kiss feels like up all it, night. It's like dancing. they, it's like they fucked. It's like it, yeah, that's how no, chaste is, the energy of the movie is. It's like this is oh, a, a huge uh, for for this for, movie for these characters. This is a huge, especially taboo. for a relationship that is not defined in any yeah. way, in any concrete way. And Amanda, it's just a feeling. Amanda Donahue. I've already said she steals this movie. Her performance is so great. the The way that she kisses, even like she she like lays into it yes. like it's she's so fantastic in this film later when he's at home mm-hmm. james goes to sleep and has a dream yes. and here we get some more of that ken russell surrealism yes. that ken russell sexuality one of my favorite scenes in the movie it's fantastic we see a shot of 
Uh, James has a painting on his wall of his ancestor slaying the Dampton Worm. Yes. That is coming out of a cave. And he sees himself walking into the cave in this painting. Mm -hmm. And then... In his full military uniform Full military uniform. He boards a plane. Mm -hmm. The plane is made to look like a snake again. He climbs a ladder to get into the plane. And Sylvia kicks the ladder over as he enters. Yes. Uh, Sylvia's there as a stewardess. Yes. And she has the Trent parents bound with their seatbelts. Yes. She feeds them venom. Mm-hmm. And she tries to give the same venom to James, who also becomes bound with a seatbelt. Yes. But Eve, also a stewardess, yes. stops her. And then the two fight. The two fight rolling around the, on the ground. It, yeah, it's not a fight. It's a wrestling it's match. A, it's a wrestling match. And and Hugh Grant has a pen or a crayon He was doing type. like a cross between a crossword and a connect the dots puzzle. Where he was finding a snake. That forms a snake on a cross. He's holding this crayon in his hand and he literally does like the little erection joke. Yes, it, it rises <laughs> as he's watching this. As he's uh, watching the fighting. A lot of uh, thigh-high stockings and garter belts yes. in this movie. During the whole fight, the other woman in the house, what was her name again? Uh, uh, Mary. Mary. Mary is, is giving, giving the, the safety lecture yes. at the front of the plane, even during the fight scene. <sighs> now, if you were Angus Flint, <laughs> okay. would you be angry that... Every other character in the movie is in this dream sequence, but you. <laughs> Aside from his butler, James's butler and the cop. Yeah. Everyone else is in this sequence. I feel like I don't know Angus if, should have showed up and been like mixing himself a drink in the back. I don't know if as Angus I would be mad, but as Peter Capaldi I would be. <laughs> I'd be like, man, I, I should have been in that dream. I should have been in that. I should have been in that dream sequence. It's that damn bear. A <laughs> damn bear. Great sequence, love the movie in general, but it really shines when it gets dreamy and surreal, yes. and there's that nice layer of perverse Ken Russell sexuality. Absolutely. Just because, like, again, that's what spices it up beyond just the B-movie aspect. It's yeah. like, there is a creative vision to this. Absolutely. Even if it's two women in stewardess uniforms <laughs> and thigh-high stockings and garter belts rolling around on the floor. There's purpose to it, damn it. There's an... <laughs> And here's artistic integrity here. And James is woken up by his very loud butler. His very loud butler. Uh, Peters. I I wrote down the note, this dream sequence ought to be in a museum. It's fantastic. (laughs) It was so good. And it's... And I'm not just saying that because I'm a heterosexual man. I'm saying that because it's artistically fascinating. uh, Yes, because... Again, Ken Russell is an artist. He has he, he has the mediums he dallies in, he has his obsessions. Yes. But his, the man knows how to craft a film. Yeah. You're right. Everything in that dream sequence has a thematic mm-hmm. element to it. It's it does. not just titillation. No. Although it very much is that. Of course. That's um, that's an element of the story. James is awoken by his butler Peters. Peters mm-hmm. is played by Stratford Johns. That's a great name. What a great name. What a, what an English name, Stratford Johns. And he worked on Russell's previous film, Salome's Last Dance, mm. uh, which of I want to see. Of course Ken Russell made a Salome movie. Salome, sorry. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, I also believe it's about I think it's about Oscar Wilde writing his Salome play or something. Oh, okay. Um, what a meta yeah, I really want to see it, narrative. but I feel like I should know more about Oscar Wilde before I do. Oscar but then Wilde again, I didn't is... know shit about Mary Shelley or Frankenstein before seeing Gotham. I didn't know anything about the Lambton Worm before seeing this movie, so... But yeah, that's definitely on the list, as yeah. are most Ken Russell movies. Of course, of course. 
We also learned that Stonerick Cavern, where mm-hmm. the Trent parents disappeared, was the legendary home of the Dampton Worm. Yes. James, Angus, Eve, and Mary go to Stonerick Cavern yes. for more parent searching. And everyone except James is bitching up a storm. Yeah, they're <laughs> like, we were here. We didn't find anything. <laughs> but you see, James, from his dream, has become convinced. Yes. Absolutely convinced that the white worm is real. James <laughs> James has gone down the rabbit hole. The, the snake like, hole. The snake hole. And is like, yeah. the only thing that could be going on is a giant snake absolutely this is the only thing that makes sense and they are all so pissed (laughs) they're all so mad that they're doing this that they're doing this search again that they're looking for the snake that they're going into the cave james dampton yeah is the british dale cooper (laughs) (laughs) i buy it very formal i buy it uh believes heavily in dreams yes Um, yes very practical uh goofy but capable uh, I can absolutely see Hugh Laurie like the butler. Hugh Grant. Sorry, Hugh Grant. I can absolutely see the butler coming in on Hugh Grant in the morning. And he's like, breakfast for you, sir. Yes, just leave it on the table, uh, Jeeves. And he's like hanging from his feet. Yes. Just like, just like Agent Cooper. Today is a thinking day. I need to get the blood pumping in the right direction. What, what? As we said, James has come to believe the worm is real and lives yes. in the cave. Yes. Mary and Eve stay behind as Angus and James go to look at some dirty cave drawings. They immediately break off, open the tea, in case you were wondering which yes. country this was made in. Uh, the cave drawings are of busty women with giant dicks. Yes. James continues to push his worm theory yes. to everybody at every moment. He's like, has to be a giant worm. Couldn't it have survived, Angus? Isn't <laughs> it possible it survived? Yes, uh, I suppose it's possible. Yeah, Angus begrudgingly admits that it, the giant worm theory has some validity. <laughs> and I just want to, uh, at this point, I wrote a note. This will, this will come back later. I wrote a note. Oh, my goodness. The Danton worm is a hermaphrodite. That's yeah. that's what the images of the women with the giant dicks are supposed to reference. And they mention that earthworms are hermaphroditic. Earthworms are hermaphroditic. Um, and I said, please tell me we're going to see Amanda Donahoe with a dick later. Spoiler alert. We do. We do, but we'll get to that. It's a strap-on, but it's still... Yeah, uh, again, I will get to that. So Eve decides to go home to prepare tea for the yeah. for the boarders. They just had tea, they're going to get more tea. Well, tea is also sort of like a meal, I guess. Like, it's sort of like... It, yeah, uh, they're, they're, yeah, tea time is not a joke, that's a literal thing. Yeah, she People have a, tea breaks. I assume England. it's tea, macaroni yeah. and cheese. Right. Uh, some sliders. Sure. Um, caviar. Right. Uh, a DQ blizzard. Right. That has to be made fresh in Absolutely. everyone's home. Absolutely. Uh, 40 to 600 Nilla wafers. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, <laughs> a candle, which is not meant to be eat, but they do. Not not meant to be eaten, but they'd still eat the candle. Yes. Uh, yeah. I, I. This is why we have you on the show to, to offer your expertise on British yeah. culture. No, I, yeah. I've seen... Both Paddington movies. <laughs> I've seen all of Downton Abbey, including the movie. Right. I've watched The Crown. Of course. I know what these preverts do. <laughs> I know what kind of ungodly meals they eat. These Come fucking on. savages. These fucking colonizing dickholes. Wow. Um, <laughs> all right. So Eve heads home and she goes through uh, old disappearance woods. Yes. And as she's walking, brilliant moment. Brilliant moment. Sylvia calls to her from a tree. 
I feel so silly. (laughs) Which she's just lounging in, in full leather regalia. Oh my god. Uh, She went up there to rescue a cat. Yes. But now she can't get down. So, again, no subtlety here at all. We literally have a snake in a A tree tree tempting Eve. Yes. Oh my god. (laughs) And again, here's here's what... How do you not get it? It's a comedy! (laughs) Here's what's nuts about this movie. Yes. Is this works... Yes! It should not. It shouldn't. This is this piss is poor writing. This, this is, is silly. Piss poor, this is, this silly is like Zack well. Snyder symbolism. <laughs> uh, but but I mean, it, and this, at the same time, it's not at all it's, like it's Zack so Snyder great. symbolism. Zack Snyder wouldn't have the brains or the balls to no. come up with something this brilliant. And it's so brilliant because it's so fucking simple. Exactly. And exactly. And because it knows it's simple and it knows what it's doing. And it, it knows, knows it's, it's being silly. ridiculous. Yeah. Just the fact that, again, she says, Eve, I feel so silly. Like, it's, and it's, it's just pitch perfect camp. It is. Pitch perfect. And Sylvia asks for Eve's hand and mm-hmm. she takes it. Eve is obviously entranced. Yes. Uh, they go back to Temple House. Mm-hmm. There's a great, great fucking shot. Yes. And it's not because Amanda Donahoe is nude. Yes. Although that is part of the aesthetic. Definitely. We see a closed tanning bed. Yes. Once again, white worm imagery. Yes. Yeah. And uh, Sylvia reaches out and pushes it up. Like, and just, literally calling attention to, like, the, the Bella Lugosi pushing open the coffin type deal. Yes. Yeah. It's so fucking great. The lighting of the tanning bed, the colors, mm-hmm. it works so well. And she turns over and crouches there mm-hmm. like a like a, like a a cat and demands that Eve strip. She tells her to disrobe. Yeah. And that she is immortal, not Eve. Sylvia is. Yes. And she used to be the lover of the emperor. Mm-hmm. The convent stood where the guest house now is, was built on top of a temple to Dianan. Yes. And, uh, so, which is Sylvia's god, which is the snake god. Yes. And Dianan loves virgins, just yes. like Eve. Also, so I, I want to say right here, this is very close to the plot of a newer, much less interesting movie, The Nun. And... This yeah. should have been the nun. <laughs> like this movie. Oh yeah, no. <laughs> this, this, this is so much more interesting than. But it, it, it's so it's so close. I kept comparing it, like because the nun is also about a convent that is built over an unholy place. Yeah. And how the unholiness of the place infects the nunnery instead of the nunnery containing it like it was supposed to. In the and nun, so in the nun, the convent was built over the Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> Where Satan had his eighth birthday party. <laughs> I mean, for all the explanation we get in the none of what the fucking unholy well is, it might as well be the Chuck E. Cheese he I had mean, his eighth birthday party. Based on party. the fucking theological substance of the Conjuring films, I'd say that's pretty on <laughs> Exactly. I'd say that's pretty on par. Exactly. Um, but she has this amazing monologue here where she talks about about Jesus's brides being nuns and kept but as they're virgins brides who can't consummate the relationship cons- he keeps them in a convent masturbating in dark 
corners in darkness and yeah. then flagellating themselves for the sin of masturbating for the sin of masturbating it's later fantastic. on and it's it, such an amazing monologue and again it harkens back to it should be part of the vagina monologues <laughs> it's so fucking good it harkens back to one of russell's most famous films the devils yes which is about a possession in a french a nunnery in that movie we get a crazy woman who is the uh the mother superior who yeah. does in fact masturbate and flagellate herself yeah. thinking about uh, a man in that case uh, the the priest, main the, the main priest yeah. character in the movie so yeah yeah none the masturbation habits of nuns very big topic with Ken Russell I'd read a book called The Masturbation Habits of Nun. <laughs> which, which would you read first? One of Ken Russell's books about... The oh, The Masturbation Habits of Nun. Ma- no, if that were a book, I would buy it right now. <laughs> sure, sure. And then she, using a giant... Uh, her sex horn. Horrifying her, uh, phallus. Like, yes. It, it, it's it is, it it's is, her sex horn. It's it like, is ribbed, not for her pleasure, but definitely for, like, torturous It has things. shit inscribed in it. It's yeah. like a rhinoceros's horn, yes. front horn, if it were, like... Phallic. Three feet long. Yes, and she she feels up the leg of Eve and somehow uses this to determine that Eve is, in fact, a virgin. Yes. Eve will be sacrificed to Dianin, alive. Alive. And Sylvia instructs Eve to call home and say she's gone to London. Now, Eve was originally supposed to be nude at several points in this movie, but, but the, the actress, actress was, was uncomfortable. Not. And Ken Russell that. said, okay. That's fine. And that's what you do. That's exactly what you do. Yeah. And that's a thing we talked a lot about after seeing a movie called Perdita Durango. Yes. Which might show up on the show at some point. Yeah. That's a big thing. Like, nudity in films is great. Sure, whatever. I'll never say no to any any nudity, male or female. Right. But if a person is not comfortable with it... Yeah. I don't want to see it. Absolutely. No, we, we... Consent is important... With anything involving your own body. You yes. have control over your body if you're a man or a woman. And it's important that that be respected even in the pursuit of filmmaking. Like, that's that's a very important. 100%. Yeah. As she's talking on the phone, Eve, for some reason, I guess Sylvia just gets tired of this conversation and decides to spray some venom on Eve? No. What happens is Eve... Is told to 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 is is under a trance, and she's supposed to tell Mary that she's leaving. However, Eve, as we know, because in the house there was a crucifix that yeah. got Venice, is religious, and she has a cross on a ring. Oh, and okay. She sees the cross, and just the sight of the cross is able to break her out of her spell, and she yells, "Dionin!" Gotcha. into the phone right the right, snake right. lady pops out of her her coffin slash tanning bed with the big snake face on again and he spits venom into eve's face to shut her up i guess her screaming dionin into the phone was not enough to make mary concerned mary is concerned that she was leaving but she doesn't like go hello hello she just hangs up the phone's like that was slightly odd hold on yeah after eve gets sprayed with the venom yes. she has some more gnarly fucking visions that's right, she does. This is where we that. get probably my favorite sequence, just because it's so fucking insane. Mm-hmm. We see nuns impaled on spikes. That's right, we do. Nude. And uh-huh. Sylvia's there, also nude. Yes. And she's licking her big sex spike horn thing. Which is covered in blood. Yes. It's, yes, yes. Uh, this is fucking crazy as shit. Like, it doesn't last long. Yeah. But it's insane imagery. This is like Absolutely. some fucking... 
this is one of those moments where I was reminded more of Hammer movies than of than of uh, Universal films with, with a lot that. of nun impaling. <laughs> no, but a lot of vampires being compared to paganism and also to Satanism. A lot of conflating of all of those different ideas. Gotcha. On top of uh, the fact that just the color of the blood and something else that like didn't mention it earlier because it didn't seem to be that important, but even the the red in the titles at the beginning and end of the movie are also the exact same red that they would use in the titles for Hammer movies. Interesting. And I have to believe that was intentional. I'm sure it was. Yeah. As we said, uh, she screams the name Dionin. Mary hears it. She repeats it. Yeah. Angus, being an archaeologist, of yes. course, recognizes the name of this pagan snake god. Of course. Our heroes realize that Eve hasn't gone to London. She's been abducted by Sylvia, who has something to do with this pagan snake religion. Yes. At home, James finds a record of snake charming music, which, which a- his world trotting father had on his many sexy adventures. <laughs> which are all reminded to him and to the audience by the butler who gets very aroused yes. talking about it, which was so uncomfortable. <laughs> Next. Hugh Grant goes full Radio Rahim. There are giant speakers atop his manor that blast the snake charming music so loud it can be heard at Temple House. Yes. Where it charms Sylvia out of her wicker basket that she's just chilling in. Oh my god. And this is the funniest shit. It's wonderful, silly imagery. Oh my god. And it's used for... A lot of like the DVD copy covers. Yes. Which is almost a disappointment because it's such a, a it's, ridiculous moment. You shouldn't be prepared for it's it. It's like a moment that would show up in a Zucker Brothers movie. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. Like, if you can't see that moment, you're like, oh, okay, I get it. <laughs> like, because that is a lot Literally. of times it's hard. Yeah. Going into this movie, knowing Ken Russell, yep. knowing that it was sort of campy. I, I knew what mindset to go into. Right. But there are it's a legitimate thing where it's like sometimes you don't know the tone of a movie sure. until you get a moment where it snaps for you. Right. Vampire's Kiss was like that for me where it was like, mm-hmm. is this a bad movie or is this a brilliant movie that's insanely a lot executed? Of, a lot of people can't decide when watching that movie. But once I saw Nicolas Cage in the cheapest vampire teeth possible, right. like looming around like lunging like burying his fangs was like okay there's no way they didn't know what they were doing right and that's the moment you need to find and that's how you establish trust in filmmakers there are a lot of moments in this movie that serve that purpose and this is definitely one of them oh absolutely yeah this is a big one and again shout out to amanda donahoe oh my god Uh, her physicality is so perfect she's sort of like good her dancing as she leaves the house is like it's it's wonderful it's so good and she's lured out of the house and angus and mary sneak in Mm -hmm. they find angus or they find mary's mother yes watching some sort of sexy snake show right uh now, vampire snake vampires are omnisexual, I guess. Mother Trent is so pissed at being bothered during her stories <laughs> that she sprouts fangs and bites Mary. Yes. And we get another freak out. Mary sees yeah. Sylvia in full snake mode with primitive dancers coming out of her mouth. Oh my god, yes. They have big spiky penises covered in blood. Yes. 
Angus, because he's an action archaeologist, much like our beloved Dr. Jones, right. sucks out the poison. Yes. And very considerately spits it into a glass, not on the floor. <laughs> yeah, he keeps it in his mouth and runs over, gets a glass and spits it out. Takes his good sweet time with that, with that venom in his mouth. Back at Dampton Hall... The lights go out and a butler screams. Not a butler, the butler. Oh, and this is the first time that uh, we get confirmation that these are supposed to be vampires and not just some random snake Yeah, monster. they're sort of like snake vampires. We it's... only know that they're supposed to be, that they are supposed to be vampires. Not only because of the, like, the visual symbol- symbolism of the coffin earlier, but also because... Uh, Peter Capaldi, after spitting the venom in the cup, he picks up the phone and he says, "The appear to be afflicted with some sort of vampirism. Which, of course, that's a logical assumption to make. Right, yeah. He's a man of science. He's a man of science. I mean, that's, that's, that is a scientific affliction you can have, like canthropy and vampirism. And here comes probably my second favorite scene. Okay. Heart contender for first. Sure. Uh, the lights go out. The yes. butler screams. James is attacked by a screaming Mother Trent. Yes. She's she's jumping at him like a kung fu master. Thankfully, there's a great sword sitting on the mantle, which James picks up and cuts the woman in fucking half. In midair. It is amazing. And, yes, this was Hugh Grant's favorite scene to film. Oh, I'm sure. (laughs) I'm sure. Uh, and here's where I pointed out that the Dampton family does one thing and they do it well. <laughs> Cutting snakes in they half. They cut snakes in half. And then we cut, and then after he cuts a snake in half, they show the woman on the ground. In, Wonderful in shot. With both halves writhing and, and squirming and screaming. And again, if you know anything oh about... Oh my god. If you have the, even the most passing knowledge of special effects, yes. you know how this was achieved. It's oh, not a hard yeah. effect. No, none of this is it's hard. It's a person with boards around them. Right. It still looks fucking great. It it's looks still so good. amazing. It looks so good. And then the power comes back on. Mm-hmm. But the snake charming record has been stolen. <gasps> the next day at the guest house, the copper shows up to take Mary to identify her mother's body. Yes. Instead, Ernie takes Mary to Temple House, yes. where she realizes the fix is in and tries to flee. Yes, the cop has been infected with the snake vampirism. We see he has a new bite on his arm. Ernie is a snake vampire. Yes. And he's about to attack. But then. Man, it's really hard to figure out my favorite fucking scene in this movie. There are so many good ones. But here is where I truly love this movie. Yes. They're interrupted by Angus in full Scots regalia. He's in the kilt. He's in the knee socks. The only thing he's missing is a Tam. He's (laughs) playing bagpipes. Yes. Which have not been established at all. No. There's been no mention that he has these with him, that he can play bagpipes. No. But... Because he's Scottish. He's just Scottish. We accept it. He just, he pulls out the bagpipes and he starts charming the Ernie Snake vampire. And he's like teasing him. He's just (gasps) staying just out of reach. It's so fucking great. And I wrote, I wrote down, of course he wears a fucking kilt to play the fucking bagpipes. I'm surprised he doesn't kill the vampires with a fucking golf club. Oh my God. This is such a wonderful, ridiculous thing. Again. Like, like it, it's something out. It's like something out of a Zucker Brothers movie. It's so it really fucking is. absurd. Like, I can't just go savor with my bagpipes. Of course, I have to put the kilt on. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's fucking beautiful. 
Uh, Angus stays just out of reach of Ernie until he runs out of breath. Ernie lunges at him. He pushes him down onto a sundial shaped like a snake. Yes. And the uh, hand of the sundial goes through Ernie's skull and pokes his eye out. Which is just, just great. Great effect shot. Just great. And here's where I noted that Angus embodies the ideal of the Black Panthers. Where there's people, there's power. Where there's people, there's power. And self-defense against the pig. I'm sure that uh, classic punk Peter Capaldi would (laughs) greatly appreciate that. Also, I did write down, although I do love the uh, bagpipes... Only slightly disappointed that Peter Capaldi didn't get to play his electric guitar in this movie. Oh, does he play electric guitar? Yeah, I wasn't joking. Peter Capaldi was a punk growing up. Oh, okay, cool. And he and Craig Ferguson were in a punk band together. Oh, man. Which the two of them admit were te- was terrible. Most punk bands are. Yeah, but he can he is, can play guitar to this day, and they incorporated that into his Doctor. Oh, cool. on, on Doctor Who, there's a scene where he rolls into a medieval village on, on a on a tank playing electric guitar. And again, they're going for broke with this bit. Angus is just wandering Temple House playing his bagpipes. Yes. In addition to the bagpipes. every time, at one point he puts the bagpipes down and we hear a... Yeah. (laughs) Wonderful sound design. (laughs) Beautiful. But in addition to the bagpipes, Angus has brought two other insane things. Um, Yeah. (laughs) One is an anti-venom. Yes. Which we will later find out was concocted in a lab. Yes. But that is not established at this point, so we just assume that this archaeologist <laughs> is operating under Marvel rules where he just knows all science. He just knows all science. And he whipped up an anti-snake vampire venom. You're right. <laughs> but he also yeah. has a fucking mongoose. He has the mongoose and it's in his like crotch pouch. Yeah, <laughs> his little his little Scott fanny pack. Yeah. <laughs> I, oh my god, and mongoose, I, if you've never seen a mongoose before, which or, I don't remember ever seeing a mongoose myself before this movie. No, I just know of them. They're, they're, of they're them. the natural enemies of snakes. Yeah, they're known for their snake killing. People know about that. But, like, they are, like, ugly little things. They're, like, they're, like, they're, like, they're like super ferrets. Yeah, they are angry, fat little monsters. But I really wish, at the end of the movie... <laughs> mm-hmm. Mary was like, but Angus, where did you get the mongoose? Right. And he flashes back to the story of how he got this fucking mongoose. And where the fuck did he get this thing? You no, know, that would be the twist ending, is that it turns out he's secretly been the priest of a mo- giant mongoose cult. <laughs> <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> oh my god, that would have been amazing. It's like the twist ending of... of uh, Will the will the real Martian please stand up or whatever that Twilight Zone episode is where it's like well actually the Venusians are coming to invade it's it's the same thing but it's like well of course we had to we had to kill the snake god because the mongoose god has to his movie get on Friday the movie w- the movie has a twist which we won't give away right we now. won't give away right now this twist is so much better where I'm, I'm just imagining <laughs> I'm just imagining like Sylvia's dead uh, the yeah Dionan is slain yes and Peter Capaldi puts on his sunglasses and is like. I guess it's time to mong ghosts. <laughs> and here's the fucking thing about sure. this goddamn mongoose. <laughs> which is, in a ridiculous movie, the most ridiculous... I think this is the most ridiculous thing in this movie. It's That he just ridiculous. randomly has this mongoose. I don't think it's the most ridiculous thing. The most ridiculous thing is coming up for me. Okay. it's. But here's the thing. 
Yeah. As ridiculous as so much of this movie is, mm -hmm. it never feels that way. No. It feels like exactly part of the movie's reality and tone. Well, again, the tone is set so well from the very beginning with the dialogue and them saying, like, it might be a cow's skull and all that shit at the yeah. opening. It's, again, it's a much like an Oscar Wilde play. If you... If you have ever seen or read The Importance of Being Earnest, there's a certain level of absurdity that is set for you by the characters and the way they interact, so that when the really crazy shit happens, you're already primed for that shit. You're already ready to just go along with the madness. I think... I think for a director, as like some sort of testament to their ability as a filmmaker. Yeah. Like it's easy to make a prestige drama. Sure. Like you need to be skilled and you need to have skilled actors. Right. But I think it's much more a testament to skill to take some this B movie plot. Right. And make it all feel so natural and be like, what I'm seeing is fucking crazy, but yeah. I'm here for it. And I think that maybe that was the problem with the critics who hated it is that maybe they just didn't I, either they didn't understand what the director was going for, which, again, I don't understand that, or they just weren't willing to buy into the vibe. Yeah. If you're not willing to go along with the vibe, the movie is not going to work with you. No. It's you, just not going to work for you. you. I can't imagine the movie not working for you because I, we both genuinely love this movie. It tunes into the vibe movie. so well. As long as you're... But if as you're not willing to go along with the film, you're not going to enjoy it on the same level. Again, here's where preconceived notions can kill a film. Yes. If you go in thinking it's one thing, yeah. and you're waiting for that film in your head to materialize... And you're not willing to change gears. Like I thought this was going to be a more serious horror yeah. film when I started it, but the minute the dialogue started, I was like, okay, shifting gears. This is a problem I have with movies so much. Is like, sure. I go in, I'm like, this movie is going to be one thing. Right. Why isn't it this thing? It's supposed to be this thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm holding against the movie... That it's not what you thought it was. Yes, which is not the movie's job no the movie's job is to be the movie right and i my job is to accept the movie as it is right you can never please 100 percent of the people 100 percent of the time but angus uses his mongoose yes. to and in the cartoon for the lair of the white worm in the cartoon where james dampton and angus flint team up yes. to solve mysteries all across <laughs> Rural England, right? Uh, the mongoose would be its own character. It'd be like it'd Absolutely. be their Slimer. Yeah, it would exactly. It would be their Slimer. He uses the mongoose to flush out Sylvia. Yes, who had earplugs in, so she was not affected. Oh no! By the devilish bagpipes. Oh no! Uh, and she bites Angus. Yes, paralyzed, he is taken down to the lair where Mary is chained up, and Eve is bound on a rock ledge jutting out over a glowing green pit. And again, she was supposed to be naked in this scene, Eve but was. she didn't want to be. But she didn't want to be. So there was. So they decided that instead of her being naked, they would make a gag out of her wearing very cheap underwear. <laughs> so the underwear that she's wearing in the scene is... It's from Marks and Spencer's. Marks right? and Spencer's, yes. yeah. So they... And apparently Ken Russell thought that this was absolutely hilarious. I don't necessarily get it, but this is something that Ken Russell thought was really funny. If there's anybody who's going to be amused by the choice of women's underwear, it's going to be Ken Russell. <laughs> it's going to be Ken Russell, dude. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, in Stonerick Cavern, James has assembled a party <laughs> that is apparently going to smoke out the worm. Yes. Again, James is <laughs> ultra-competent. 
Yes. When it is required for him to be a hero. Yes. Sylvia brings a crown of flowers to Eve while mm-hmm. intoning about Dianin. Apparently, despite being a pagan, yes. Dianin was also the serpent in the garden. Right. So it seems like there's some conflict here where it's like, in order to believe in Dianin, you need to believe in God. So, yeah, Dianin was like... There seems to be this sort of like pluralism going on where where a Dianin is it's a the god, real god, and the Judeo Christian god is the fake god who stole the reins away from who Dianin. stole the reins away from Dianin, but in some ways would have to be some sort of ethereal being, some sort of god, yeah. of some type in order to do that, in order to be able to take those reins away. Yeah, here's where. The mythology doesn't really stand up it's, to scrutiny. It's very but it's not strange. Fucking important. It's really. not. It's not really all that important. But it's. It's just. It again. It's. I, it's a I sort just, of I wish paganism the, versus religion and the sort of uh, tightrope that all of these movies always. All of these movies walk, including uh, Wicker Man. Yeah. Where it's like, is the movie in support of paganism or is it in support of Christianity? Because again, in Wicker Man, you have like. Every, the entire movie is basically talking about what a piece of shit the Christian guy is. Yeah. But at the end of the movie, the pagans murder a man. Like, that's True. not good. And in this movie, it's the same thing where Sylvia is a fucking rock star. She yeah. is so... No, she's the only, like, cool, cool character. Ken like, Russell clearly thinks she is so cool. Oh, yeah. And she is absolutely confident in herself and her sexuality and in what she wants. And, and she makes some... Decent points about nuns and yeah. and and the 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 uh, and the serpent was the one who gave us knowledge and the serpent was the one who gave us knowledge. They they that's straight from the Bible that Eve ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and that's what corrupted her somehow. This is all some really legit stuff, but at the end of the day, the worm is Satan and she's like again killing people and all this shit and it's like are we who am i supposed to like everybody nobody it doesn't matter it's a it's a fun movie so we also see that sylvia is now wearing her giant spiky sex horn as a strap on and this is another moment where i was a little bit let down because i appreciate that we got amanda donahoe with a giant phallus you wanted her with a Dick, dick. I wanted her to have a real dick. I wanted it to turn out that the entire movie she'd been tucking, and she just had a giant, massive hog of a dick. That would have been great. Yes, I would have loved that. I, think I just w- like that. That would have been the Stuart Gordon directing a movie for Tromaville style twist. To I'm. The film. It would not surprise me if Ken Russell had full creative control. Yes, and this were the '70s. Yes, and not 1988. Yeah, that we would have gotten. A, uh, a big some phallus. sort of non-binary uh, mm-hmm. bosetch of genitalia. So a a, a a a real hermaphroditic character. Yeah. We should avoid that word. Oh, is that a bad? It's term not now? a great word. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't uh, realize that. Yeah. No, that's. I thought that's it was just a medical term. Intersexed is now oh, the medical term. Okay. I'm sorry then. But it's implied that Sylvia is about to defile Eve with this phallus. It's yes. Uh, <laughs> But smoke, courtesy of James and his smoke crew, yes, starts to billow up from the pit, and Sylvia realizes time is short, and she has my favorite line yeah. in the movie, time for ritual, no time for ceremony. <laughs> Which is such... 
love that. A wonderful, <laughs> complex line about the nature of like a cult, at least in movies, where it's like, yeah, it's because there's a ritual that, we're achieving. There's a yeah. process that we're going through to achieve an effect, but yeah. there's so much ceremony around it where it's like we need to get to the heart of this. We don't have time for all the flash, which is me raping you with my sex horn. <laughs> And that is, if you, any of these movies, that is always how the cultist gets stopped, is because they can, they spend too much time on the ceremony of it, and they never get to the actual consummation of the ritual. Eve is suspended over the pit as the big worm puppet roars, as snakes will do. (laughs) It is so scary to go on a hike in the woods. Yeah. Like in the summertime and just hear the roar of snakes. Just hear everywhere. the roar of snakes. Yeah. How did you feel about the snake puppet effect? I was pretty happy with it. I was I was pretty happy with it. It was it is it, it does look a little cheap, but it's supposed to. Yeah, and especially I'm assuming it is the same snake puppet that we saw during like the crucifixion scene. At least it was definitely made by the same person. Yeah, and they yeah. probably used forced perspective as we mentioned earlier. Sure. But especially during the Christian crucifixion scene it looks super goddamn hokey yes which again for this movie i'm sure it didn't have a big budget no because it's a ken russell movie about a fucking giant worm mm-hmm. so I, I i let it slide the i think it was intentional how fake it looked specifically because one of the quotes that i read from ken russell about the movie was like someone asked him if it was supposed to be a comedy he's like you saw a scene with a rubber white snake <laughs> trying to eat a woman in that Marks and Spencer's underwear. Yeah. And you thought it wasn't a comedy? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, by that point, by that point, this is the end of the movie. Like, if, if yes. you're only just now realizing, like, oh, it's a comedy, it's kind of too late to change your that reflection is, for the rest of the movie. That is very true. Yeah, if, if you aren't on board by this point. So... <sighs> Although, I will argue another uh, folk horror movie, Midsommar... The moment that sold the entire movie for me True, was when they, the bingo they whipped ball out machine. the bingo ball machine at the end of the film. That did radically change my perspective it, as well. It completely changed my perspective on the whole movie and retroactively made everything better. True. I had not enjoyed it up to that point, but it made it way better for me yeah. when that happened. Now, and this is my fault in my note-taking. Uh-huh. Angus at this point recovers. I don't know if he injects himself with the anti-venom now or if he did it before he says he we don't see him inject himself with the anti-venom but he says i injected myself with this anti-venom i'll inject you too and he injects the girls with it but angus somehow recovers he pushes sylvia into the pit yes she grabs onto mary's leg so Mm -hmm. what does he do like a modern day jason (laughs) faced with a fleshy gordian knot (laughs) he just Cuts her fucking hand off. He just cuts her hand off. And it's so fucking good. It's so great. And again, it's like... And she lets him do it. She doesn't, like, try and knock him away. She she even lets helpfully lets go with her other <laughs> yeah. hand so that it will be more effective and just lets him saw through the wrist. But again, in any realistic movie, Angus and a, a, just a regular archaeology student yeah. would, one, be insane by this point. Absolutely. Uh, this is some Lovecraftian horror shit if you he, take the comedy out. He's like an H. Ryder Haggard hero. Like, he's a very pulpy... He, oh, like, yes. Oh, yes. He should be squ- squirming at cutting through a fucking 
flesh wrist. Yeah, he should. But he's just like, whatever. This is what I gotta do. (laughs) This Uh, is what I gotta do. So he cuts her fucking hand off, dropping her down into the jaws of uh, Dianin, which is now almost, is is nipping at Eve's heels. Yes. And Angus, again, with an item that is insane and in no way established, pulls out a fucking hand grenade. Yeah, just, again, out of his, out of his, out of his Scotch fanny pack. His Scotch uh, dick pack, yeah. Not Scotch, as Angus says in the beginning. Yeah. Scotch is a drink. Oh. Scots. Scots, that's right. That's right. Where did this grenade come from? Who knows? His dick. Eve, (laughs) Angus, and Mary escape. And he throws, well, first, he throws the grenade down, looks at the snake and says, Holy shit! (laughs) True. One of the best and most out-of-nowhere line reads of the movie. (laughs) And uh, later... Mm-hmm. Uh, James and Angus share a drink and wind things down. They talk very matter-of-factly about what yeah. they just went through. Again, entirely sexless, entirely business-like. by what they've gone through. Completely unfazed. Again, very much like the end of Dracula, where everyone's just sort of like, well, we certainly went through an adventure together, didn't we? Well, I suppose we'll all be very, very good friends for the rest of our lives. Oh, by the way, Angus also injects the sisters with the anti-venom in case there was a scratch that got some stuff in it. Yeah. But here's where I almost thought, like, this could be like a supernatural spinoff. Where, like, (laughs) again, James and Angus just roamed the English countryside and just very blasé handle folk legends. I I would love that. I would absolutely love that. The phone rings at Mercy House. Mm -hmm. Angus gets a call from the research hospital saying that there was a mix-up. And he was given the wrong antidote. This is the craziest shit to me. They accidentally gave him a cure for arthritis. Arthritis and not the snake vampire antidote. Oh my god. Uh, so <laughs> Angus starts this feeling his stu- teeth. Stupid as shit. Angus starts feeling his teeth for fangs. And then he gets in a car with James to go to the pub. James says, come on, Slytherin. Slytherin. <laughs> He gets into the car and says, I'm a bit famished. Won't stop for a bite. Why not? <laughs> and and James realizes that Angus has a very noticeable bite on yeah. his leg, and the movie ends there. We should, he, he notices this because he accidentally pulls up his, his kilt, kilt yeah. in a suggestive way, the same way, honestly, that the dress kept getting pulled up on Sylvia earlier. Yeah. And the vampire bites in this movie, another element of how fucking funny this movie is, because the fangs are gigantic, like rattlesnake fangs, the holes in people's neck aren't the little polite, tiny oh, pinpricks that vampires get. They're gigantic, gaping fucking holes. And, oh my god. But the movie ends with the implication that Angus is about to attack James. Yeah. Cut to credits, reprise of Dampton Worm. Oh my god, and we rock the night away. It's... I love this movie. It's so much fun. It's so... This is like a... This is an A version of a B movie. Yes. That is exactly what this is. If you... Okay. I want to amend something I said earlier because I, I it was a little... I feel like it was a little bit rude. I said, if you don't like this movie, I don't trust you. That's not... as. Let me correct that. If you understand what this movie is going for and you don't like it, fine. If you don't get this movie, 
I'm confused. I'm confused how you don't understand what this movie is going. For. Yeah, I can see it. It's a very obvious film to me. Like yeah, like, from the jump, like you said, like it's very. If you can, if you pay any attention to the film and you see the dinner at the buffet, right? And you see all these tentacles and fish heads, and you're not like all these worms, huh? Well. I wonder uh, if this movie is a serious indictment of Thatcherism or whatever the fuck. Like this is what this oh podcast is about because there are plenty of people who will watch this movie and not get it. Sure, because they won't know who Ken Russell is. They won't know what what this movie is going for. They'll just think like many people thought about Vampire's Kiss. That's a great comparison that you get brought up. Many people when they watch Vampire's Kiss just think it's a bad movie. They don't realize that it's a fucking comedy. It's a joke. Well, the example I always go back to for this sort of thing is mm-hmm. I worked with a guy who said that he had seen Cabin in the Woods. Yeah. Now, I know you are not the biggest fan of Cabin in the Woods. I understand what it's going for. I have not seen it in a while, sure. but I saw it multiple times in the theater. I mm-hmm. loved it. And this coworker was like, I watched Cabin in the Woods. And I was like, oh, Cabin in the Woods. I love that movie. And he's like, it's kind of bad. And I was like, well, why is it bad? And he's like, it's weird. Mm. So it's just anything different. And that's partially where the the title and why we spend so much time calling things weird or focusing on weirdness. Yeah. It's that it's that sort of off the beaten path thing mm. that even though it's not something that you were going to find on uh, on uh, movie nights on ABC Family yeah. doesn't mean it's bad. It just means it's going for something it's different. different. Yeah. yeah. And that's what this is. Again, yeah. it's it's an A version of a B movie. It's not just a yeah. straight monster film. It's it's almost like a a They're, parody of Dracula, because I, I don't know right. if you saw this, but Ken Russell wrote a Dracula script he did, that yes. never got produced. He is a so huge this Bram is Stoker his, fan. This is his Dracula. And I'm absolutely on board. I'm a huge vampire nut. I'm a huge uh, Dracula fan. I, I was not a Ken Russell fan before this. I don't know if I'll ever be a fan of any of his other movies. But this film, this film works. This is great. Well, someday we'll do a musical month. Okay. And we'll do Tommy. Great. And that, we'll make that your next Ken Russell. We'll sort of build it up for you. I, I like that. I, I like not jumping directly to the Devils. No. <laughs> I don't know if the Devils is strange enough for this show, or at least different enough at this point. Okay. It's definitely supposedly very offensive. I was not offended by it, but I'm a different sort. Well, offensive to certain people. Yeah, I'm sure Intention- in the 70s. Intentionally very offensive to a certain class of people. This is... The Devils is, like, it has, like, none orgies. Yeah, it literally has none orgies. So in the 70s, and Last Temptation, I think, was Mm 80-something, and that riled the Catholics. It did. So in the 70s, I can't imagine what this shit did. Uh, Um, Well, it was banned, is what it did. Yeah. (laughs) But, Billy, do you know what you want to talk about next week? Next week, we're going to talk about a film called... Who killed Captain Alex and the remarkable people who made that film? Wonderful. Mm -hmm. Thank you for joining us. Absolutely.